follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad, here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you holding up? Uh, doing good, Shad. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm doing okay. All right. Just well, okay. Today. At least today. <laughs> I've, been having some, I've been having some horrible, like, allergy issues that are causing some medical complications. And, um, yeah, it's been a barrel of bunkies. That's what it sounds like. So if if you're listening to this and I'm a little low energy or I slur some words, like please forgive me, but my uh, my my face has not been doing well the last two weeks. We've uh, we've some of us have been having kind of a stretch here for the the last week or so. So we want to thank you all for being here with us for this episode. We want to get our shout outs out there. The first one is to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, CollarandElbowBrand.com. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast. That's number four, capital C and Corners, capital P and Podcast. Save ten percent off your order. I know they had a sale going here recently, but I do not know if that's still going on at this exact moment. Can't hurt to check though. And then we've got our other shout out, which means I uh, toss the ball over to Matt. Uh, yeah, that would be to uh, Orlando Colon. Uh, some might call him the Puerto Rican giant. <laughs> the Puerto Rican giant. Mm. Matt, that sounds like it might be a segue. It's a segue. It is a segue, and not the kind you stand on and fall off of. Brad, what are we talking about tonight? Uh, so we, we briefly touched on it last week, but um, we kind of didn't have the time to do anything, but we kind of... we. Uh, I feel like if you were a fan of any sort of 80s wrestling, like Kamala probably like crossed your path. And I don't know. There's just something enjoyable about him as a character. I, I Every time I hear his name now, I hear that um, that Memphis promo that you sent me with him wandering around in, in Jerry Jarrett's backyard. It's just Kamala, Kamala. Wasn't that wasn't that a great like introductory like vignette? That was I, for yeah, that was a good introductory vignette. I just can't get the the way the dude said his name out of my head. I think it's Keep. the same guy that that um commentated like that Hulk Hogan one that was also awesome from Memphis. Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember the this well, it was something like you know this is not a work of art. Or something like that. Yeah, a big phrase Memphis really, it. Memphis really knew their like their hype. At the time. Yeah, and you know, God, sometimes I wonder 
Why? Where? Where did that skill go? Sometimes, right? You, you uh, anyway, because like, because it's amazing that you can watch something like that and like be more invested in something that they that is like ninety minutes of airtime makes you more invested in a character than like anything the WWE does currently. That's it's kind of like a lost a lost art that you don't see a lot of now, and you and even. I'm I'm quite fond of them, but even AEW doesn't do this enough. And it's like they really should. Like they should, for guys who are going to debut, uh, they should be doing little vignettes. Like one thing they did recently, because I think we might have discussed it on the podcast, but if are not, you, we definitely. I, I, are we going go Joey Janela and Sunny Kiss? Because that was yes, brilliant. absolutely. I I can't recall if I ever mentioned it on the podcast. I know we talked about it like off off line if if that was the case if i didn't talk about it on the show but they did it for those who haven't seen it, it recently um probably like a couple months back they they filmed this little vignette and it was very it was done like cinematic style um which it ha- there are like some obvious drawbacks the, the obvious one being like you're supposed to you're obviously supposed to spend disbelief with pro wrestling but you have to like an extra layer of disbelief where you're watching clips that are essentially like a little movie <laughs> so it's like yeah. well how is this filmed don't think too hard about that what they what they did was it was it was sunny and um and joey janela uh driving around like in a um in a nice i think it's like was it like a convertible it was a bmw i think okay it was no, a nice car it it might have been a little too um it might have been a little too big for a bmw but it was a nice car they're like tooling around in it it's like at nighttime. Um, this promo was ba- the little vignette was basically to set up the fact that these two are now going to be a tag team. So if they stop at a gas station to get gas, Sunny Kiss is getting gas and he's dressed very provocatively. He's got like booty shorts on, and there's like some I guess we can call them like rednecks or basically people who. Uh, well, yeah, and Janela went inside to get like snacks. Yeah, and well, he's being like a goofball like he's getting you know like corn nuts or whatever and like a burrito because the burrito plays in later oh yeah, yeah. he gets a burrito like your typical gas station convenience store affair yeah you know? I, which and, which i mean and, joey janela's mm-hmm. done a lot of dumb shit like especially during that leo rush match but like man gas mm-hmm. station burritos what the fuck are you doing <laughs> with your life dude hey, hey, he wants hey to live let's, dangerously yeah let's be fair it's a better choice than taking the free sushi that comes with the fill up. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't talk uh, about it. Or the hot dog. Cause as we know with, uh, with a poo, it falling on the floor is not the biggest of deals. <laughs> well, they stay on the roller so long it burns everything off of yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, but these, these guys roll up, they start accosting sunny kiss, a fight ensues. And then Joey Janela like comes out and he has to he joins the fight and they fight off the uh, the nasty like bigoted rednecks. But yeah, I believe it he was... threw his burrito and hit one of the guys in the face. He did, but it was really cool because uh, both Janela and Sunny Kiss were doing like some cool moves. Like Sunny Kiss is doing like some cool kicks to these da- these dudes, and it was just a it was a brief little clip, but it kind of got over. Hey, these two have each other's backs they're a tag team they're you know they, they kick some ass or fighting these dudes off like in a street brawl and at a gas station and then at the end they're basically you know just dust their hands off after they've mopped the floor with these guys and they drive off and it's like some light banter between the two of them and it's like it was 
just a brief clip, but to me it got over. It's like, you know what? I'm sold on this tag team now. Like I, I like their chemistry. I want to see them in, in matches. I want them to actually push this tag team. Uh, so that's something that we don't really see a lot of, but the people behind Memphis back in the day, they at least knew like maybe it's a good idea to actually sell some of these people like, even before they arrive, get people hyped up. Yeah. And the and, one with Amala was really smart. Yeah, well, because he didn't have to actually do much in it, but it sold the gimmick, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is Kamala. He is the Ugandan giant. He's not just wandering around the park away from the, the, the paths or anything. You know, he, he's a wild man or something like You know, it, it, they're, they're doing it in such a way that it, it it fits the gimmick, and it's not um, – you don't have a whole bunch of stuff that, that feels out of place or anything. It's just like, you know, this is who it is. And and you look at it, and you're like, oh, man, that that's who's that's who's going to be here, what, next week? Mm-hmm. And all mm-hmm. – and, and, and instead of it – like, WWE did a really good job of this for a little while, but the problem is they, they wasted it on, like, Nathan Jones – like the number of people that were hyped to see Nathan Jones, whereas I was not, because I was like, I have never heard of this guy before. Well, Where is he is, coming I, from? I had seen him wrestle in the WWA, and I knew what we were in for. Right, but if you if you looked at um, it, you know it, I, I didn't know anything about him, and I hadn't been able to find anything at the time, so I was already kind of like, uh, okay, who is this? Who's this guy? And then we got what we got, but it, it's like they kind of quit doing them after that. It's like, well, people got too excited for this person we were going to bring in that turned out to be a flop. And it's like, why are you stopping then? Well, the problem too is now they kind of expect you to do the work for them. Like they debuted AJ Styles, and you're just like supposed to know who he is. Yeah. Like they well, AJ to... wasn't a new talent. Um, AJ was, was pretty well known, but it, the, it seems like, and this is what I get, I, I glean from AEW too, and you guys are going to have to tell me if I'm off base, but it seems to me like they are more looking for surprise reveals than they are for hyping arrivals. It's just more, oh my gosh, that must be this person who just showed up, as opposed to being like, by the way, like, again, I'll go back to the early 2000s WWE, it's like they ran promos for a month, it's like, Rey Mysterio's coming, and people are like, Rey's coming? When's Rey coming? I better watch next week in case Rey's there, and it's like, well, he wasn't there, but it's like, coming soon, Rey Mysterio, and you're like, oh, I want to see Rey Mysterio, right? AEW kind of, um... AEW kind of does it within the contrivance of like the TNT title. Um, and they also like, they kind of build up the Brody Lee debuting, but they've also, um, I don't know. AEW's in a weird spot though, where they've been trying, like, I mean, they're trying to like build a fan base. Yeah. So they try to get guys in there as quickly as they can. Um, well, I mean, would would one week a one week delay kill anybody? You know, it, 
regardless of how you feel about it, would, <clears throat> was having a surprise debut for Matt uh, Cardona. Is that right? Yeah. Am I saying it right? Yeah. Is, is that, I mean, as opposed to maybe just having a little promo that hypes up that he's coming? But, I mean, like, um, it, it's worked for them, though, because, like, they, I mean, they've done some stuff, like, when Ricky Starks debuted, they did a good vignette for him that kind of, like, established him, and I feel like Eddie Kingston, when he debuted, really, like, made you insta-care about him. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, really, that was Kingston. But I Eddie mean... Kingston's probably been the best debut they've done, um, but Eddie Kingston... Eddie Kingston has, like, star power. I mean, I know that's weird to say about a guy that's never done, like, big league stuff, but he, like... Kingston's, like, the real deal. He has such incredible charisma, and he's such a good promo, that even if you you had no idea who he was, and that's fair to say, like, a lot of people probably didn't. I mean, AEW does court a very um, knowledgeable audience, so people probably were... A lot of people were probably aware of him. But even if you weren't, like, that literally, like, that that promo and match he did, you would have known, like, everything you needed to know about Andy Kingston. And yeah. been like, I now want to see more of this guy. And you can see why people wanted him higher, because, I mean, he's he's incredibly talented. Like, they could they could do a lot with him. This is kind of getting away from, like, the topic of the, of the show, but that's a whole other discussion where it's like, I actually feel AEW is getting too bloated with all the people they have yeah and i i mean i I know this would i know this would upset a lot of people but i kind of feel like um ftr has kind of fallen on their faces and not um done well with freedom uh i see i think they've done a i think it's too early to say i think they've done okay but they also i think are hurt by the fact that there's no crowds yeah. And outside of basically like AEW, WWE, New Japan, and indies that are kind of too small to really matter. Like, I don't mean to like shit on like Game Changer because the Game Changer is running shows, but it's like if you're if you're not going to go from like the WWE to Game Changer. Yeah, you're not. Um, so the fact that they're not able to really do like shows. Yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of hurting them because they'd be probably getting a much bigger reaction. And then. I, I think AEW's they're doing like obviously like a slow build between to, to them versus the Bucks, or at least them versus like the Elite. Um, but I, don't know, I think the no the no fans hurts a lot of things. It hurts yeah. their product because they had they had such hot crowds. And yeah, really I mean, had people, that going for them. Yeah, but I think that I don't know when they're um, well. I don't know if it's still going to happen since the guy who was like very pro AEW just got ousted from TNT. But I mean, their 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 TV deal did basically guarantee them another show, mm-hmm. which I don't know when that was going to debut. I think uh, Even, in a pre-corona. Yeah. Huh? I would think. I would think. I know people keep saying that, but like, you if if someone comes into TNT and doesn't want to push AEW, they it were they finish like top seven every week. Yeah, in like and, and a for, coveted demo, like a like they only have the NBA that can do that. Like nothing else that they could put on TV is going to draw that demo. So they would be stupid to give that. Oh up. no, I absolutely agree. But there are definitely, I mean, there still is the stigma there. It's like uh, wrestling, 
Like, yeah. we, don't want that on, we don't want that on our brand. Even though it's like, well, what else are you going to fucking put up on there? Are you going to put up a rerun of, like, NCIS? Well, yeah. that's... That. Um, that going back to the Time Warner thing, they WCW was not going to last once the AOL-Time Warner merger happened because mm-hmm. the, the people they were bringing in said outright, you know, we're not having wrestling on our show. It's like, never mind that, you know, you're drawing big ratings or anything. There are people who will be incredibly petty and and sink something just because it's like, oh, you know, well, I don't like it, so we won't have it. Never mind. But even if that happened, AEW's been so successful, another network's going to dive on them yeah. and pick them up. So I think that they'll be fine. It's just the everything is kind of screwed up right now. Yeah, I think in the long term they will be fine. Um, but yeah, I think if they had a second show, I think it would help because they have so many guys. Because I just I just looked and I'm I'm like months behind on AEW Dark, but they did an AEW Dark airs on Tuesdays, and mm-hmm. I guess this latest this latest show, and they've been like they've been doing this now for like at least a month or so. It's eleven matches on AEW Dark, mm-hmm. which it's like. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how long the runtime is, but I'm presuming <laughs> if they're doing like shorter matches like that, that's probably going to be like an hour and a half, two hour show. You get to the point where yeah. like AEW Dark is like as long as, as basically like an entire episode of AEW, like that. It would help to have a second show where you can actually like focus on it, and maybe you get some of these guys that you now have under contract that you're not doing anything with. Like there, there's one of the AEW Dark matches is like a Lance Archer match, and it's like Lance Archer should be. Like one of your main pushed heels, yeah. And he's kind of just he came in, had a match with Cody, and then it's just kind of been he's been doing nothing. And it's because like they only have two hours, effectively, yeah. a week and, to do stuff. And it's like running into the WCW problem of like the mid to late nineties, where like there are guys on the roster that you would not know existed unless you watch like the side weekend shows. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's not like AEW, you know, chocks it shows up with filler, either. Like, no, you know, but, I mean, the, but I mean, they've got just, like. I bet they've bloated out to about sixty rostered talent, and that's mm-hmm. really like speaking as someone that, that like plays a lot of booking games. Like, if you're trying to like do a modest thing that you can keep up with, which would be like, like, like when I do it, I try to do like six matches a week. Mm-hmm. When you start getting over that that forty plus number, it gets really hard to get people airtime. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. They should um. They should really do something. And I feel uh, like I'm... that's where where the cluster fuck tags are starting to come from, where they're doing like those six and eight team like matches on tv is to just try and get people facetime yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. i guess in que- there is a question i i guess over how many people are actually like legit contracted or are just people that are now associated or affiliated and they're just paying them per per like showing because i know there's guys who are um like I guess QT Marshall is associated with they either like are students of his or he they're like friends of his that he's brought in Mm-hmm. But some of those I think are actually under contract. Like Anna J, like I, I have to imagine that she's under contract because they're they're pushing her on actually and, TV. Uh, that Serpentico guy, 
Yeah, right. I don't know. If, I don't know if he is, but he, I would imagine he would be because he's he's been kind of featured a lot, at least on AEW Dark. I don't know if he's yeah. actually debuted. I don't think he's debuted on Dynamite. It feels like it honestly feels like they're if it feels like they've gotten bloated because they don't want to let anyone go, but they um they're also trying to throw a bone to people that kind of got screwed over. Mm-hmm. But that the, it has some upside for them. It feels like they're just trying to take care of some extra people, and like the the TV's a little suffering a little for it. Right. Since we're talking, just the, my before we, we can move back to Kamala, but yeah, my, my the last AEW related thing. Okay, so since my like uh, bitching last week about the AEW figures. Yeah, it's gotten it's, worse. It's gotten worse. <laughs> oh my uh, god! They, Who is that idiot on Twitter telling people like making that eBay stuff? Like, don't do that shit when people can't even find them. Yeah. So Jeremy Padawar, who is, um, I don't know if he's like the the head of of Jazzwares, who's whoever who's he done is, he's a fucking idiot. He might. I don't know if he's the marketing guy or he's. He is definitely like an executive with Jazzwares, and I mean his Twitter. He 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 will say he'll be like, "Oh yeah, no, no, like the figures are coming, like they're still just being rolled out." And it's like it's been a whole fiasco. But then he'll he'll basically he said on his Twitter, like as I've said before, like, "Oh no, actually, like we, we're short, we're shorting like the number of of figures in the first two waves that'll actually hit the stores because." You know, we don't we don't want to have too many. They just sit on the pegs and they won't order like future waves from us. Which again, it's a very cynical approach, but I can logically understand it. But it's like you literally what what you're seeing is that because things are so scarce and because there's such a demand, that in the last week, to, to the extent that these figures are actually showing up in stores, mm-hmm. there have been multiple reports of scalpers going in and basically being like, I I'm Go to like the the Walmart employees. Be like, yeah, I'm, I want to buy the entire palette, like all the toys, all of them. Yeah, and literally walking out with like dozens of figures to, of course, resell in the market. Because if I've looked online, and it's like they're forty, they're selling for like forty bucks, fifty bucks, which is at least double the price. And it's like I'm not, I'm not doing that. No, even I. Uh huh. I was gonna say that 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 what's his name again? That idiot, Jeremy. Jeremy. Mm-hmm. He he is such a slime ball that it would not surprise me to find out that he's selling shit that he stole out of the warehouse on eBay for fifty bucks. Like that's that's how much of a sleep like that is how sleazy he comes across. Yeah, I mean, our own uh, our own friend Christy Petrillo had tried to get some right. figures. Friend of the show, Christy. Petrillo. Yes, friend of the show. He tried to get some yesterday. I guess they were. He he found out they were popping up in two stores, um, and so he he went there like right. He went at one store right when it opened. Was told by like the guy. He's like, oh yeah, they're they're on the truck, but I can't take him off the truck until the manager gets here and he's off this morning. So sorry. And so like Chris Cook, he had he has got to work. He didn't he didn't wait around. So a friend of his, I think, went went a little bit later. He's like, yeah, I'll grab some for you, and. It wasn't even that long after, like Chris had left, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden they're like, "Oh yeah, some dude came in and bought them all." Sorry, sold out. And it's like, what the fuck? You just like, 
were you just lying to Chris? Like, you just gave it to, like, this other guy? Or you just suddenly, like, you could find a way to get him off the truck and no, sell him to some other local? It's no, like, dude, got, dude got duped 100 to not sell him to anybody else. Well, no, yeah. here, here's what happens, too. Um, that guy might have been being legit about it, and some other guy, like, w- was saying that because that's true, but some other guy, like, didn't give a fuck and took him off the the truck. Like there, yeah. like there's weird like communicate. Like I've worked retail. Like for one thing, be nice to the workers because they're getting paid like twelve dollars an hour, and they just want to like not get harassed about it. But you know, weird stuff happens. Like, um, I don't know. It just, just weird stuff happens communication wise. I don't know. I I just. I'm getting increasingly like, bitter about it to the point where I'm getting triggered at the the very <laughs> the very mention of the AEW figures. Have have either of you guys? I don't know how uh, deep a Three Stooges fan you are, but have you guys ever seen the old uh, Niagara Falls bit? I probably mm. have, but it's been it's been a long time since I, I've seen the it, Stooges. It's it's an old. Uh, it's maybe like the best Three Stooges bit. It's actually an old vaudeville uh, bit. Uh, the premise is that it's like two, at least two people talking, and one guy is t- telling about some horrible story of how uh, someone screwed him over, and he got his revenge upon that person. But every time, uh, the every time that 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 person is mentioned, and specifically, it's like it, usually it's like a long story about how he had to like chase the person cross country, etc. And catches up the person in a specific city, which the in this particular bit, it's Niagara Falls. Uh, so whenever the other person mentions Niagara Falls, like inadvertently, it, the the teller of the story is so inflamed with rage, so triggered by it that he just starts getting violent with the other person. Nice. Um, okay. So obviously, with Three Stooges, there's a lot of slapstick humor. So it, it's a really yeah. funny. It's like. Mo is the one who's telling the story, so like it's Niagara Falls. Slowly, I turned, and then he just starts beating the shit out of out of, Cur- <laughs> out of Curly. It's it's worth your time to watch. It's only like a five or six minute clip. You, you know YouTube. the only the I, I used to watch him. It's been a long time, but the only thing I ever remember it's actually not a gag. It's something they said, which was hilarious. I think it was actually Joe who sucked. Mm-hmm. But it was the only funny thing he ever did. He's like, Mo, I was thinking, and Mo's like, every time you do that, it weakens the country. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, that's, that's a rough that's, line, man. It, it was great. I I love them though. They they really. Oh, uh, they were. They really are just great. Yeah, Laurel and Hardy are good too. Uh, I was always a Python guy growing up. I didn't see much in the way of Stooges, but. Uh, it, the other day, I was finding the uh, I found the the old bookshop skit from the Python, which was great fun. But my favorite Python skit is the parrot. Oh yeah, I've I've done this I've performed that parrot. one before. I've performed that one before, and oh, cool. uh, it it went pretty. So Kamala. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <we're... laughs> so um, so I want to say like one thing about Kamala. I noticed because we watched older stuff. We did do a WWE yes. match. But it's amazing how flanderized he got over the years. Like the early stuff, he's actually a really fascinating character. Like he's not he's not stupid. Like that's actually something that Lance Russell kind of pounded in his match with Lawler that we watched. Is mm-hmm. that what makes Kamala so dangerous is 
Kamala's like, like he's almost like a cagey savage, like a a cagey and savvy fighter in a lot of these early matches. Like mm-hmm. he's not stupid. Like he he under like he uses some strategy. Like he he um he knows how to hurt people. Like he's not just like a dumb brute. I think that's kind of like what Lance Russell was saying that stuck with me during that match. Is Lance is kind of saying, "Hey, this guy is not like." <laughs> You know, like, I know what you're thinking, that he's, like, this brainless brute like you've seen come through before, but he's not. Like, he, he's, like, a warrior. He, you know, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. They played the gimmick more straight mm-hmm. at the very beginning. Uh, which, I mean, caveat for those who who maybe are not aware. Like, the, the, the gimmick could not exist today because it's, no. it would be perceived as incredibly racist. But, yeah. Um, they they played it straight, and that's why he became more comical. You know, as the years progressed, it was it was it was taken more cartoony. Um, but he was presented for much of his, or at least the early part of his career, like half of his career, as a very serious threat. And I think that actually that really helped because the fact that they played it completely straight, it's like no, no, he's actually really dangerous. Yeah. Um, and the way that he was booked, I think, was actually really smart. And he was actually. He was actually it was a very successful gimmick. You can the tell too, that, like, um, you can mm-hmm. tell he loves doing it too. Like from these matches, you can just tell he like he's just having like a fun time. Like I actually thought, um, I actually thought it hurt the Lawler Kamala match a bit because you could kind of tell they really like working with each other. It's yeah, Lawler. We can talk about that match, but Lawler was so good in that match. He was just you really can see how great of a. a an actual worker he was but yeah the, he you could tell he loved he was having fun out there actually letting kamala beat the shit out of him yeah and then and then his baby face comebacks and it was that's a i actually thought that was a good match i mean caveat like kamala was not a good worker as we would define it that's i feel mostly the gimmick we, we have to, to um draw a line i feel like it because a good worker does not equal good work rate, and yes. that's yeah. I, I heard God, I heard guys argue for like uh, two hours with Al Snow about this one time, and I don't know why they kept going. But the his statement is the two best workers in history are Hogan and Andre because they they got the most money, they brought the most people in. To be a good worker is not that you can string together a bunch of spots and have it be real impressive. To be a good worker is that you get people invested. My, is problem, that... with, my problem with Al Snow's argument, though, is that he is stupidly not... Um, I get what he is saying, but he really he really made a very generalized statement, and he he's too um, stubborn to admit that, like... He, that there could be caveats to that and I feel people argue with him in a stupid way but like the one time he got called out on it in a good way I think was on a you shoot where someone straight up just said like so are you saying you're a bad worker because you didn't draw money like I feel like I feel like I think he, he eventually said yes too I just feel like I just feel like he's sticking to that because I think I don't know why he is like I just hate when he argues stuff because he um he generalizes way too much. Well, okay, to for for the sake of 
I I agree with his basic premise, the idea that a good worker is not a work pl- it's not a work rate thing. If work rate is how you get people invested, that's fine, but these are not the same thing. So, um, you know, we I, I want to make sure that, uh, and, and I'm sure we've got fans out there. They're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know we got it already, right? But I just want to make that clear in in that we want to we're giving him credit because what he's doing is is very engaging. It's it draws people in, and that's that's what you're going for. If if you're someone who got in the wrestling business to do, you know, oh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to do all these awesome moves and you're not paying attention to whether or not, you know, people are invested in your match, then you're just not going to get booked anymore. Yeah, you can do cool moves, but if you don't do anything to get people invested, they're not going to want to come see you. And and promoters are not going to bring you back. Kamala as far as I can tell, was pretty much always able to get work. So he's he he's a very good worker. He does things. He does the small things really well. There's some, like, um, like, I like his, I don't know, I know Shadow's worker, but I liked in the Lawler match, like, his falling tree cell when Lawler was trying to get him down, I thought was very engaging. <laughs> those, um, those are tough to, tough to do. <laughs> He he he's actually in his younger days. He's actually got some mobility. Like he's pretty light on his feet in the early stuff. Um, he um he fed the comeback really well. Yeah, and... he did that really well, and that was something that I noticed a lot in the the Lawler match. And he um he does some things like he he kind of like he was smart enough to understand like hey like. I'm I'm not like a, a trained wrestler so I shouldn't be doing anything fancy like I should just be brutalizing people with a couple body slams here and there and some basic like um muscle like work like muscle holds yeah that's yeah, I was I was the thing that I really appreciated in this gimmick is that he works in a way that is different than everybody else, and I'm, it, it's not—it's not bad. It—it it sets him apart. It's different. It doesn't match up to what everybody else does, so it makes him seem very unorthodox. And in doing that, all of a sudden, you know, you—the—the old—the old analogy, you know, if you—if you have two world champion chess masters. They're going to know what's going to happen next because that game in some form or another has happened before. They they know how it plays out. But if you're going to sit down and play chess against a guy who, you know, chews on the pieces and, and doesn't move them the right way, you don't you have no idea what's going to happen. And how do you how do you prepare? How do you combat that? And I think that's what you were saying earlier, Brad, is that. That's that's kind of the beauty of the gimmick is that he doesn't, um, you know, what he's doing is not the the standard fare that you see, and so it's it's like Lawler doesn't know what what's coming from which way. He doesn't know where the next hit's coming from necessarily. 
Well, let's let's go into the Lawler match because I think that is actually the chronologically it is the first match that we watched. So, um, what I noticed here is, and I think they worked it smart, but he just gobbles Lawler up until like Lawler drops the strap. Mm-hmm. Like he gives Lawler nothing. Like Lawler gets some brief spurts, but like they, it's pretty much ineffectual until he finally gets to the comeback. Mm-hmm. He's he's scrapping or Lawler's for a lot of the match. Lawler's just trying to get his feet underneath him, and um, and Kamala's basically just brain chopping him right over the top of the head. And, and I said it earlier, but I think Lance Russell actually does, like, a really... Lance Russell's commentary, like, you really see why he's one of the best ever yeah. while he's commentating this. He was really, really good. He did a... That's something that I wrote down in my notes. Like, he did a really good job of getting Kamala over. It's kind of like you said, he was presenting him as, like, he's no, it's not a cartoon character, folks. He actually is a serious threat, and you should take him as such. Yeah, and yeah. what I like, too, is um because I hated it. Remember when he turned face in WWE and he'd do that splash on someone's back? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like, they would make him so stupid he didn't understand how to pin someone. Like, in this one, like, he does that, and you can almost kind of tell, like, he's annoyed because he's like, crap, like, now I have to, like, roll this guy over and try and win. Yeah. Like, there's he, almost, he does... like, a frustration. He does the splash to the back, not because derp, 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 that's what he's supposed to do for the funny spot, but just that's the position the guy happened to be in when he did the splash. Yeah. Also, his splash is different than everybody else's splash I've ever seen do a big splash. Yeah, it's almost like a dive more than yeah. a splash. It, it's, it's like he's trying to get distance and diving on top of you. So... Um, I, I just wanted to throw that out there. It's one of those fun little uh, quirks that kind of sets him apart. And I also like that um, you can tell in this one and another one we watched, like when wait, it wasn't this one because um, he was talking a bit, but like when Friday's out there in these earlier matches, you can tell he talks to Friday, mm-hmm. which I think really kind of adds some um, some nuance to his character. Yeah. It's it's not that he's brainless, it's just who he chooses to talk to. Yeah, and the, and the stuff with the table in this match I thought was pretty good, too. <laughs> Lawler kept going back and forth over it. <laughs> well, and there was something else that I thought was really interesting here, is um, Kamala actually works the count towards the end. Mm-hmm. Like, he's actually working within the rules because he... Because Lawler's kind of recovering, but the count's still going on. So, like, Kamala beats him up some more, and he's, like, trying to get back in the ring so that he can he can win. Mm-hmm. Like, it was really interesting. And, you know, Kamala goes and breaks the count so he can keep it going and stuff like that. Yeah. But I, I thought this was... I would not say this is good by what what someone with modern taste would think, but I thought this... I actually like this match a lot. Um, it's one thing I noticed watching these Kamala matches is his matches are very, like... Um, I compared it to, like, watching, like, a B 
B-grade action movie that's on at 2 a.m. Like, it's good junk food watching. Like, you can kind of turn your brain off and, like, it goes by quick and you have a good time with it. You don't, like, have to think too much. The story, the stories that happen in these matches are direct enough that you don't have to process what's going on. You can just be like, oh, well, of course, he's doing that. And, you know, of course he'd do that. That makes sense that he would. Um, and, you know, you're not you're not getting into the weeds with counters and reversals and stuff. How do you counter and reverse, you know, him chopping you over the head, right? Yeah. So, and go ahead, Matt. I I really like this match a lot. I Again, it's not, as we kind of more modern-day wrestling, we would perceive it as, like, a good match, but it was a really, like, compelling match. Uh, and it was kind of, again, they, they really played Kamala straight as, like, a monster heel, and Lawler really gave him a lot. I, I loved, like, defeating the babyface comebacks that he, he did. I mean, this was just... In ter- if you actually, like, appreciate wrestling as, as like, an art form, this was actually, like, a really well-done match. Mm-hmm. And it really... I feel like this match really highlighted um, <clears throat> Jerry Lawler's brilliance as a worker. Mm-hmm. His selling is so good in this match that, you know, you, you're not... It's not just that he, you know he sells good. It's that his selling is is compelling and draws your attention. Because mm-hmm. um, there's there's some folks that conflate the idea with selling. It's like oh I get hit with this move and I stay down. Well, that's the bump. If you're going to sell, it's what you do after the bump. Because if you take the bump and then just pop right up, you're not selling. You just took the bump. You're not, you know, there's, what, what what story are we looking at here? We're not looking at a story. He just took a bump and got up. But, you know, if if Kamala gets a hold of your arm because, just I'm just going to make this up as I go. Let's say it's with Stan Hansen or something. And Kamala gets the arm and he just starts chopping on the shoulder. And then later in the match, Hansen's like, he's like working the arm, trying to work it out. And he goes to do it, but whenever he hits it, it you know it hurts so bad. He goes, "That's selling." It's not just taking the bumps with it, and that's what Lawler was was doing. Lawler was really selling in this, and it was it it's good. You know what I saw Greg Valentine do in a match once that I thought was brilliant, and guys did a little more in the '70s that should come back is um, I think it was a Backlund match, and Backlund had him in some leg hold. And he got okay. out of it, and he, like, rolled to the outside, and he, like, started punching the leg that um that he was working, trying to get the feeling back in it. Yes. Um, and, where was the last place I saw that spot? The most recent place I remember seeing that spot was Mankind Shawn Michaels at um, Mind Games that I remember. Because he did that, he got the he got the pin from Bear to like stab at his knee to try and and do that. And then that one had an interesting end that I think they used to do more like so. Backlund actually tricked him where where Greg Valentine had him down, but he slapped him on the back, and Valentine thought it was the referee telling him he won. So he let he let up on the pin, and then Backlund saved himself because he outsmarted him. It was interesting. I don't know if I would have picked that up. 
just watching yeah, the, it the first time. Vince actually mentioned it, that that's what happened. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that's cagey. I like that. Yeah. I have that on DVD somewhere. I'll have to look that. I'll have to, I'll have to find that match. Okay. But yeah, so Matt, it I sounded, thought... uh, it sounded like Matt was getting ready to jump in again. No, that's actually like a very clever finish. I'd, I'm a little shocked that Vince pointed it out. Vince <laughs> right? in the 70s is a little um, better. Than, like, when Vince was by himself, he was a little better. Mm-hmm. But um, he got worse as he got older. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. Um. So next on our list is... Um, um, this was an interesting par- pairing. So this was Andre the Giant and Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Kamala and the Missing Link. And I'm pretty sure this was um, he. This was mid South, but they were working Houston at the time. If I if I had to guess based on the look <clears throat> of the arena, I think it was Houston. Okay. Yeah, I'd have to say uh, Hacksaw. It's got to be like mid South. Yeah. Well, there is a weird thing. So, like, Houston in the 80s was a territory, but they didn't actually, like, have their own talent. They would partner with people, and then they would bring those guys in and book their own shows. So they were – they did like this with Mid-South for a while. Then I think they did WWF for a while, and then they were doing, like, I think, W like, JCP guys for a while, if I remember correctly. Hmm. Okay. The uh, this match, it's it's like the complete inverse of the last one. Um, because it at least to me, this kind of seemed more like a uh, like a glorified squash, but everyone wanted to see Duggan and Andre. You know, whoop some ass. So, um, Kamala and Link were feeding into it, and Kamala was feeding into it very well. Well, I think, I think, um, I'd have to, I don't remember this era of Mid South well. I'm pretty sure Kamala and Andre were kind of having a back and forth feud because I've seen footage of Kamala body slamming Andre in a tag with Bill Watts commentating. Okay. So, and that one was actually interesting because there it was kind of like the tag was breaking down and Kamala, who was actually a good character, like snuck up on Andre and took him by surprise and slammed him. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, just for context, you can find that in a compilation on YouTube of people that have slammed him. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, and should we tell like the the brief Kamala the Kamala Andre story? That's Go for kind it. of like. I don't know if this is like this isn't like a well I mean Kamala has shared this so it's not like necessarily apocryphal but it's kind of gone out there into like the lore of uh, of Andre and of Kamala I guess too but Kamala basically said that uh, they had a match together and did he he like missed the spot or something and Andre kind of like tuned him up a little uh, shot on him for a little bit and. And I think wasn't the story that, according to Kamala, Andre used the N word, used I some, uh, so. used some colorful language. Um, 
So, I mean, this is back in the day when things were a little more rough. So back in the 80s, uh, you travel around to the territories, and sometimes, especially if you're like a big African-American dude, uh, you'd run towns where you didn't necessarily like the, – the fans weren't necessarily like into you for the – they may have been jeering you, not just because you were a heel move. Right? <laughs> Maybe you, for, might yeah. be, you might be working in what were they called sundown towns in like mm-hmm. some of the southern territories. So if you don't know what a sundown town is, and I might be getting the terminology right, it's pretty much like if – if you are of a certain skin color, you will you should if you get caught here after dark, something bad will happen to you. Yeah. Mainly you'll probably be beaten to death. Is pretty much what um I could be getting that terminology wrong though, of what that was. But I know that was like a thing in the south until well, I mean, probably into the nineties, I think. Yeah. Uh but apparently like that that's what happened. Like there was a like an altercation in the ring, um, where Kamala either missed a spot or maybe he like accidentally hit Andre with like a, a stiff shot, something of that nature. And basically Andre didn't care for that. He, uh, you know, kind of reciprocated, basically called him, uh, an inappropriate word. That's kind of putting it mildly, but basically yeah. <laughs> what happened was when they got to the back, uh, Kamala pulled a gun on him and was like, you're going to use that word. <laughs> you're going to use that word again. And then Andre, of course, was like, no, no, no. I, uh, I completely misspoke. I don't know what I was saying. <laughs> Clearly I won't use that sort of language again. So, uh, that was kind of the end of it because by all accounts from just about everyone, I think that at worked with him, people were always saying that Kamala is actually like one of the actual nice guys in the business. Like he just was always very pleasant, incredibly uh, positive in terms of like his outlook, his, demeanor so he's not someone who just walk around having issues with people but well if if you look up um if you look up wwe outtakes from the 80s a lot of them are just him like screwing around on promo day and like people laughing at him Mm -hmm. like there's one i love it's him like cutting like a promo on junkyard dog and he's like he's like junkyard dog's like you've got to like mess with ugandan giant and i don't speak english but I've got a great amateur background. <laughs> and there's one where, like, Mean Gene's like, he's like, holy shit, like, you look like Sugar Bear Harris. And he just starts laughing. <laughs> the other thing I think that would kind of endear people to Kamala is, and and you can get this from from kind of watching the, the Lawler match, but... It seems like working with Kamala was not going to beat you to death like working with some other people might. I no, he, you know, we've talked a lot, or I've talked a lot in this uh, podcast about Orange Cassidy and what a smart gimmick it is because mm-hmm. he doesn't really have to do too much. I mean, obviously, in, more recently in AEW, he's doing more actual physical stuff, but generally, it's like a gimmick where he doesn't have to do a ton of crazy stuff. He can do like minimal stuff, and yet it still pops the crowd, still gets people excited. Uh, Kamala, in a weird way, was sort of like that, only in the sense like he didn't his offense wasn't incredibly diverse. He wasn't going out there doing like you know senton splashes or shit like that. He was basically just doing punches, kicks, um, chokes, body slams, like really simple stuff. But what people have said, people who worked with him, they indicated like he actually was for a dude who was like legit. Six five, six six, three hundred 
pounds. Mm-hmm. He supposedly was very, very light, not just like agile, because he clearly was. I mean, some of these matches, um, he's throwing kicks. He can like one of the things he, he I didn't I don't recall him doing in any of the matches we watched, but he can do um, leapfrogs over people. He was a he did. Um, remember in the Lawler match, he had Lawler in the corner and he like jumped and touched his toes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, he's really agile, but so he's light on his feet that way. But apparently, he was very light working in the ring. Like he he did not lay in stiff spots. And guys, that's one of the reasons why guys love to work with him because he was so big that whatever he did to you was completely believable, and you could just sell could sell it like crazy. Yeah, but he wasn't going to actually like hurt you. Like he his his moves looked good. In the sense that they look, he looked like he's this big three hundred pound dude, chopping you, and you could just sell the shit out of that. You could act like some guy just hit you with an axe handle, but he wasn't actually like being stiff with you. And uh, I think there's a quote. I don't know if it's actually a quote from from Bret Hart, but I think like his nickname, Kamala's nick, one of Kamala's nicknames, is supposedly Easy Money. Because you can go out there, people would buy to see you face Kamala because people were into you know the Ugandan giant, the big monster heel. But it was easy because you go out there, you'd have like a, a relatively short match with him. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be you wouldn't have to take too much offense. He wouldn't beat the shit out of you. You know, you do like your your handful of stuff. You get a win over him in a way that you both come out looking strong, and then you know, take off for the night. And yeah. who wouldn't? I mean, that's it's smart. Like you can go out there, have like a ten minute match, not do too much stuff, get a big gate. Like that's that's winning. I mean, that's why everyone loves Kane. Same thing. Everyone said he was like light as a feather to work with. Mm-hmm. The um, the in in doing this and in in getting ready for this episode, there were some thoughts that I had on it. In that, uh, first of all. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna call back to our interview with with Duke Allstriker a little while back. There are so many um, guys who want to get in the business and be be a monster, and they're big guys and stuff, but they they're not strong, right? And they're not they're big. That's really it, right? Like and and not like not like lifting big. Kamala is what all these guys wish they were without understanding why he is what they wish they were like that, that that's what they all want to be but they don't understand why that's what they want to be and um sense. it's 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 a shame that they they miss the point of why he worked right you know what what is it that made kamala's gimmick successful because if you look at it from the outside it just seems, you know, it's like, oh, that's simple. You just go out there and you, you chop on people and you're over. Right? No, there's more to it than that. And it made me think of something else. Brad, were you telling me Kamala, like, moved around in the territories a lot, right? Yeah, because, I mean, he, um, he'd probably do – I mean, most heels would do, like, six months, maybe a year, and then you'd move to the next place. So it's – the thought occurred to me that Kamala was probably the similar to, not the same thing, but kind of similar to having Abdullah come in, except instead of taking a fork to the head, you're just taking some 
some chops and some slams and a splash. Well, and and he probably wasn't holding a sign saying free hepatitis C either. Well, right, right. But um, because he actually did um in. 1985 Jim Crockett promotions like he literally just came in for like a month to work a match with Magnum TA and then after he did the job he left so I mean I don't even think he worked a match on TV um really I think think he I think he appeared on TV once or twice but I don't think he worked any matches but by 85 he would have been like a known commodity I think because I have to imagine um I have to imagine the after mags absolutely loved him. Why is that? Just because that like that he seems like what they would have um they because like just because like the pictures would have been great, like I think he would have moved magazines, so I think he probably had a big hmm. a big like um presence in the after mags, if I had okay. to guess. I, I could be totally wrong, but he just his gimmick seems like the kind of thing they would they would latch on to. You probably write like, a lot about that, right? Well, and like if like think about it too, like so you're writing kayfabe articles and you're kind of like filling in the blanks and writing stuff. Like, wouldn't you want to write about Kamala because you can write some like weird, outlandish stuff? that you wouldn't normally get a right kind of probably why like people love kevin sullivan in the after mags because you could write all that like weird satan stuff you you can you can fill in some gaps in a way that doesn't contradict what's on tv but you can still have some fun and flex a little creatively in doing it that's actually one of my favorite after stories though that jim Cornette told about how um he how after got jerry jarrett and um Jerry Lawler in trouble with Vince McMahon Sr. because Andre came down and they did like a count out win. And I think um, <laughs> the After Mags did a headline like the night a midget beat Andre the Giant. Yeah. And then and then he's like yelling at them and or he's like he's like taking them to task for it. And Terry Funk's sitting there like, oh, shit, Vince, who were those guys? <laughs> <laughs> Who would do something like that, Vince? Who would uh, do that? Terry Funk stories are never not funny. <clears throat> Matt, did I hear you tuning up the Terry Funk there? I, I may not do Terry Funk right now. I, okay. I need to actually listen to some old Terry clips uh, so I can get the the voice back down again. Yeah, because you're okay. you're a goddamn coward, Tommy. Goddamn, you're a goddamn coward, Tommy. <laughs> I don't know, Vince. I'm an old man. man. <laughs> uh, that's going to be that's going to be a, a show coming up sometime soon is is just Matt's impression hour and then I'll do really bad ones to show just how good they are. So I guess it's oh. to, I guess it's time to talk about the match that Matt did not like, which would be Kamala David Von Eric. Yes. First off, this was, I mean, all of these uh, matches that we're talking about are on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. This was like the grainiest footage possible. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, well, it's not. Which I, the problem is there, the Fort Worth stuff, because this, so, it, 
world class is weird. So there's like the Dallas stuff at the Sportatorium, but there's like the Fort Worth stuff that's not. Um, you can only get it in a couple places, and I think really um, John McAdams is the only guy that has a lot of it because I just bought a lot of it. But um, so I don't think there's a lot of sources. So usually, like the more rare the footage is, the worse shape it's in because you can't like. You can't do like what they did with um, like WCW where you could get it in fairly good shape because people would just, you know, cycle in the better shows or even something like Smoky Mountain. Like I have Smoky Mountain on DVD and my stuff's in great shape because someone because they would because Jim Cornette was selling stuff right off the masters. So like if you mm-hmm. were to see my Smoky Mountain DVDs, like there's just dead spots where the commercial should go because my stuff is probably off of VHS that was off of master tape. So like my stuff looks good because it's probably second or third generation. Yeah. So the problem with the Fort Worth stuff is It looks like it was recorded on fruit by the foot. Wait. Someone probably got that on a tape that was probably done on four or six hours. Probably six hours because tape in this era would have been expensive. So it's probably something that might not have been stored super well, you know, and it's not like it's not off any master footage. This was probably off of someone's VCR and like one tape of it existed in the, the, the stratosphere at some point. Wow. That's kind of that's kind of like the stuff you run into. Like sometimes stuff looks good, sometimes stuff doesn't. It depends on the availability. But the Fort Worth stuff is rare, for the most part. Like mm, okay. not a lot of it exists. And I wish like I wish the WWE would get that stuff out there. The one thing I noticed though, and I don't know, Shad's worked in rings before, but that ring was huge. Uh, it was pretty good size. Um... It was like. It was like WWE sized, I would think, maybe even bigger. WWE rings are are bigger than everyone else's rings. Um, That was a, yeah. Thinking back on it, that was a pretty big ring. Um, And the thing you got to bear in mind is just the only real point of reference you're going to have. Because with the ring lifted up the way it is, there's not a good point of reference for anybody else. But, you know, as big as Kamala is, I think he was billed at 6'7". So, yeah, he's, he's probably about 6'5". Um, you've got to look at, you know, does he look smaller than normal in that ring? And the answer is yes, he does. Um, there's just so much distance in it. And then... It took me a little while to get used to the the video quality on it. I'll I'll be honest. I, I know I know what you were just saying about you know finding it, but it it, it took me a minute. No, I know. I kind of get used to it. So Matt, let's 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 uh, let's. So Matt, would you like to open your floodgates of rage about this match? I, I didn't I didn't care for this match. I actually really was annoyed by this match, and it's because. It really, it really just boils down to the fact that David Von Erich got way too much offense on Kamala. I mean, for all the matches that we watched here, the the tag match, Jerry Lawler versus Kamala, even the final match that we'll talk about after this one, Kamala got a, a good amount of offense. I mean, he was like fucking, you know, laying into Andre the Giant, and yet 
David Von Erich is basically like just beating the shit out of him. Going toe to toe with him, like sh- exchanging punches. Yeah, and I get it. I get that. Like in Texas, the Von Erichs were basically like gods. They were treated all, like they were the they were effectively like the Hogans of that era in Texas in that territory. But it just to me, it was really it was too much. Like he 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 got too much offense on Kamala. Kamala like in losing. Um, well, I guess it wasn't like a loss, but I mean, I didn't feel like they kept him strong at the end of it. And it's just, I have just, I understand like for the time you book like your hero strong, but I mean, even Hogan was made to look vulnerable. The thing about Hogan was that he would always, you know, at the end he would Hulk up and he would win. But every Hogan match, if you look at like those Hogan matches from the eighties, like it, it was, it was formulaic, but it worked, but every match was the same. It's like, he'd start off strong the heel would beat him down. He'd spend like 10 minutes beating the shit out of Hogan with a couple of poke spots. And then at the end, Hogan would like make the comeback and win. Like he showed some vulnerability, which that's the thing. Like your, your baby face, even like your main baby face has to have at least moments of vulnerability because that makes like the comeback better. You know, if you just have him go out there and beat the shit out of the heel easy, then there's no drama. There's no conflict. Like, You've There's no worsened your heel. Yeah, you've, you've you've lessened your heel. Like, why do, why are people gonna pay to see you face this guy again? Anyway. Yeah, and like, like they they um where I where where I thought that was dumb was I thought the finish part was really cool. Like how he kind of gets that knee out of nowhere and just gets that right into the claw. Like, think about how much cooler that would have been if that would have come after like six or seven minutes of like Kamala just like relentlessly like pounding him. <laughs> Exactly, but that's not how they booked it. And it's just I, just in general, like I, I haven't. I'm not by any stretch of the imagination an expert on like world class or Texas wrestling back in the '80s. But I've seen enough of it to know that even like I, I just have. I grew weary of the excesses of the Von Erichs. Like they were booked. They again, they were incredibly over. They were like gods there in Texas, but they were booked as such. And to me, like it got, it got kind of annoying. And that brought up all of that here. Like David Von Erich should not have been going toe to toe with Kamala, and he should not have. He should not have got as much offense as he did. I really only have a problem with Kevin in matches usually because sometimes um, I need to find a couple f- to make Shad watch for the show. Like the matches oh where, where Kevin's not um, cooperating. <laughs> Anytime Brad says I'm gonna find some stuff to make Shad watch, I I cringe. Just from the get go. The only I, uh, I, I, I think I I think I'd have to disagree. This is Kevin Von Eric. I, I will say the only Kevin the Von only, Eric, I, all my matches were evenly paced. The only the only thing I will say in Kevin's defense is it seems like when he wasn't cooperative, he didn't hold it against guys when they started potatoing him. Like it seemed like mm. it seemed like he was fine with the give and take, which. I don't know. People probably have a problem with that. It seems like if you're going to give it and willing to take it back, like that seems like fair game. I don't know how Shad feels about that as a worker. Like if but... you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to stiff somebody, you're going to catch it back. And if you there, okay. <sighs> probably should have seen this coming, but that's going to be that. It's another example. Why I hate low key. 
he will, you know, he will have matches where he stiffs the living hell out of somebody. But he will either throw his hands up to make sure that the kick that you're throwing at his face after he threw four at you doesn't hit him square in the face. Or there was a guy who did a shoot interview, and I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. He said, you know, I had this match with Loki, and I went to go do a German, and I kind of lost him. And he didn't land right. And he was so pissed. You know, he said, and so, you know, I took my receipts because, yeah, I screwed up. But, but like, Loki beat the piss out of him for, like, four minutes. And then after the match, Loki's like, don't talk to me for, like, 15 minutes. I'm so mad I can't handle it. It's like, bitch, he made one mistake, and he took the receipt from it. You beat the shit out of him for four minutes, and now you're still going to be mad about it? You small dicked, insecure little prick. It seems Whereas like... the difference is that what you were saying about uh, this particular Von Eric is like, he's like, yeah, well, uh, okay, you're hitting me, we're hitting back, and that's how we're going to do it. And he he just kind of accepts that that's that's the truth, which is good because that's what's going to happen. Well, I mean, let, let's say you're a worker, and let's say you're going to work a match with a guy that night, and he walks up to you before the match, and he just says, like, I'm just going to warn you, like. I'm going to beat the fuck out of you, so I expect you to do the same to me. Like, is that like a, well, this is going to hurt, but like, okay. It's like, if we're going to do it that way, that's how we're going to do it. And I'm, I would be lying if I didn't admit that part of me was going to be like, if you're going to, if we're going to do this, then I'm going to make sure you know full well that I'm going to hit you back. I'm going to try and hit you back just as hard, if not harder, as what you're laying into me. Because, uh, you know, I don't want you getting this idea that I'm someone you can just do this to, right? I'm, I'm going to disabuse you of this notion that this is okay. Even if you did come and tell me earlier, you know, I'm going to lay him in hard. And and next time he might be like, so what kind of match do you want to work? And not being like, well, I'm going to beat the hell out of you. I expect you to beat the hell out of me. It's like, if you say that, I'll do it. I'm going to take you at your word. I think it's like the I Vader never had that happen. I think it's like the Vader philosophy where like Vader would beat up on you but like it was I think it was implied that he was willing to take what he was giving to people so I think that's different than guys that are like It depends on who's telling the story on whether Vader is like hitting you and expect expecting you to hit him back or if he gets to hitting you and then you cold cock him one back and he kind of snaps back to reality and he's like oh right 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 i'm not working in japan right now or something yeah. i mean because uh, people said he kind of saw red in there but i know he did lose his eye and he doesn't seem to hate stan hansen so right right well, there's a funny story going back to Loki. So there was, I think it was Monster Monster Mac on a podcast talking about working with Loki, and he's like, "Yeah, like, because I guess they're friends though. So like, Loki would fuck with him and like kick him too hard, and he's like, oh yeah, like he'd do that to me the whole match. Then I'd get him up for a power bomb, and like I would just destroy him, like his payback. So I I thought that was funny. Well. <sighs> I mean, okay, fine, but the problem here is that he does that to everybody. Well, yeah. So, you know, you know, I've been trying to be be careful and and 
you know, watch my verbiage and that sort of stuff so I don't fall into bad habits and that sort of, but mm, he pisses me off so bad. But yeah, there's, um, I'll, I'll, I'll find some of Kevin eventually. Make you, I know, I know. Yeah, you scare me whenever you say that. I haven't, I haven't, like, in fairness to me, I didn't know that that one match existed and Matt and I suffered for that too, so... Um, Wait, which one are you talking about? The what? The Irish assassin or Sam? Oh, that one. God, that's like my new bar for like how bad something can be. <laughs> that's yeah, that's right up there with the worst I've ever seen. No, I legitimately, I know Matt and I, Matt and I keep saying that, but it, it it might be the worst thing I've ever seen. It really might. I went back and thought about it after we, we had that episode because at the time I was like, I might have seen something worse than that in like a middle of nowhere place. I'm not sure I have now that I've thought about it. That might straight up be the worst, the the absolute worst match I've ever seen. I've, I've seen backyard wrestlers have better matches. Well, because they're interested and they want to be involved and they want to do stuff. Anyway, you and your fancy on. being able to do stuff with lockups. <laughs> Jeez, God. So, Those guys uh, just, I mean, hurt my soul. Yeah, like, so I, my problem with this was um, I don't feel like the comeback they did was like they didn't earn it. Like, I feel like I feel like this was similar to. The Kamala Lawler match, except all of the good stuff Jerry Lawler did to like make it work, wasn't there. It made me appreciate Lawler a lot more. I think that's a fair statement. Um, because Von Erich was he was not selling enough for it to work. You know, he he they're they're doing all this stuff, but but he's not. He's not selling it enough to to for the payoff to be worth anything. Yeah, and like if it had been if this had been carrying the match, like in the initial parts where like David was kind of fighting back a bit on the initial assault, like I would have bought it a little more because Carrie's a big dude and he's ripped. I'm like, oh, okay, well you know that, but but David's more kind of a slimmer, like lankier guy, and it's not as believable. Is it? I mean, he's like taken it and kind of given it back a bit. He's toned, but he's not big. So. And in that situation, like you really like, you need to outsmart the big monster. You don't go like toe to toe with him. Like even Hogan didn't go toe to toe with him, really. No. I'm trying to think of my favorite example of of Hogan doing that, and I'm. I know it's there, but I don't have a handle on it. And even, like, Hogan did some things that weren't, like, super Hogan-y in that match. Like, Hogan going to, like, the knife-edge chops, like, to try and, like, just do more damage, I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. I guess we'll just go into that one. Yeah, I was going to say, are we going into that now? Yeah, so our final... Do we have more bad things to say about the Von Erichs? No, um, we can do a whole we can do a whole Von Erich bashing episode at some point. I do feel bad for them though because Fritz is such a Fritz Fritz is such a fucking scumbag. Do you know yeah. um, Do you know random aside that I learned from the 
the lapsed fan when they did this. Do you know? Do you know he was paying them like some absurdly low amount of money, and Gary Hart was trying to get them more money because they were the ones drawing the houses and Fritz wouldn't do it. Like they were getting like paid two hundred and fifty dollars a show, even though they were the primary draws. Like way no. late into their career, like it's absurd. Like Fritz sucks. Wow. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. I think it's out of print. I really want Gary Hart's book, but I don't know where to find it. Because it's out of print. It might it be like, do you think it might be in an ebook format? I don't know, because it, I think it was like one of those weird, like, low print run something or others. Oh. But I need, to, I need to look for it. I do want to get Kamala's book, though, because there's one that's like an autobiography okay of him um but um yeah he's interesting if you listen to the shoot interviews i know matt wanted to talk about i think when we get to the to the last part um he wanted to talk about Meltzer's obituary for him okay well let's go through this last match and then we'll do that so the last match is pretty much he's challenging hogan for the title um he pretty much just beats the crap out of Hogan until Hogan gets the comeback and the win. This wasn't, this was, there's a lot of weird things about this match. Uh, one Kamala comes out with, um, with King Curtis, Ikea. Yeah. So he you guys the noticed wizard. that he was, yeah, he, the, he's the wizard, the wizard yeah. at this point. So what they were doing, I, I've watched the TV at this time so I can speak about it. So he was getting managed by the wizard but he was also tag teaming with Sika that was back as like a singles at the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And then Hogan comes out with his own face painted kind of in like Kamala like patterns. Yeah. Um, and then there is like the typical like Hogan versus a monster heel stuff where the monster heel beats Hogan down. But basically Hogan gets the advantage and wins after just cheating, just horribly cheating, like cheating, yeah. cheating, flat his out balls cheating. Off. Taking Salt in the like, eyes, take, taking like yeah. Tate. Initially, well, first off, he takes Tate and he's like choking Kamala with like his his wrist tape, and then yeah, like he pulls like powder out of his or salt out of his shorts, and then tosses it in Kamala's eyes. And then did Kamala have like a, a necklace or some sort of necklace or something? Uh, uh, no, he got that off of. Um, it was either the the wizard. I think he got it off the wizard. Yeah. Okay. There's some sort of like necklace involved, and Hogan basically gets that, and then uses that to like a running like axe bomber, but with the necklace, mm-hmm. knocking Kamala down. Then you know the leg drop gets the win. But it's like it was really weird because like Hogan won, but he didn't do the typical like Hogan Hulk up. You know, I, I get the advantage now. I'm gonna get the pin. He he, he was a cheating motherfucker, yeah. and it was it was um it was Gorilla Monsoon and uh, Mean Gene on commentary, and they just like they just like rolled with it. They weren't like, oh yeah, whatever. And this really could have used Jesse Ventura on there. <laughs> They're like he's he's blatantly cheating, Monsoon. I kind of feel like getting away with, and you don't call him out on it. I kind of feel like the story there though was 
not to justify Hogan's cheating, but like it pretty much starts with Kamala beating him with the belt, like for like a couple minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah he true. rips the belt off Hogan and just starts like like beating him with it, which I thought yeah. was really cool, actually. And yeah. then Kamala's like biting him and stuff, so I kind of feel like Kamala set the stage that anything goes, and Hogan was just kind of obliging. The uh, the face only cheats if the heels cheated first. Yeah. So what you do what you're doing in that case is you're evening the scales. But I feel like I feel like watching this that Vince needs to go back and look at this because like if this was if this was modern WWE like the face would have just lost it never like fought back really like or you know they would have let like the wizard like distract them in some stupid way and Kamala just would have beaten them instead of you know fighting fire with fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I imagine I, this is probably in a time whenever they're not being so tightly produced and controlled and Hogan's just like no nah, we're going to do this and, it's, and, and it, at this time period no one's going to say no to him about it or, or try and redirect him so um, for me like the story of the match I, I got it but I didn't th- I didn't love this one because um, aside from that that opening where Kamala's just like, oh, he's got the belt on. I'm just going to use this. And, you know, it, it felt to me more like a Hogan match that happened to have Kamala in it than a Hogan versus Kamala match. It felt like, at least to me, that Kamala's just kind of filling the slot of the heel in this. And he doesn't get to put... He gets to put some, but not as much of his his own spin on things. I so. I I tended to like it because I've watched a lot of WWE from this time frame, and this is this this would blow away most things you would see on a show in this era. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't say it was bad. I just said it didn't seem like it was Kamala, so I think it, it someone, didn't grab me the same way. I think someone that thinks. Hogan can't work because they buy into that that myth should watch this to um actually watch Hogan like this is still when like towards the end of when Hogan I would still call him a good worker but I think they should watch this because Hogan does a lot of good stuff here I I'm I'm going to pick a nit I'm going to do be nitpicky for a second and it's not even against your main point but I would say Hogan was a good worker you know, on into the 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 late late nineties because, I mean, we talked about the the Nitro one hundred and everything. Just you know, the way he was doing that match. In terms of the definition of worker, like we talked about earlier, I think he you know I think he did great with that at the time. I just despised him so much I didn't want to see him on my screen. He got but now I can look at it and go, yeah, formula. Like you would get variety of. Like, a Hogan match could go all sorts of weird ways up until about 87. Okay, fair enough. Up till like, that, that first Andre match, then he kind of, like, got his formula down. Okay. Well, I mean, if the formula works, why wouldn't you keep using it, right? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but I, 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 I typically like this. I wouldn't... I would, I'd be willing to call it a good match. It's not... I don't think it's as good as the Lawler-Kamala match... Um, but it would probably be the second best, the second best match we watched. 
Yeah, I'd be I good with that. I'd be good with that. So, uh, what would what? Um, I didn't get to read the obit and the 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 observer map. What like what did Melter touch on with that? It. I mean, he did a pretty in depth kind of breakdown of his career from the very beginning to kind of towards the end. It just uh, it was really fascinating because I there's a lot of things I didn't know about Kamala. I didn't know how many territories he worked in. I didn't know how like successful he actually was. Um, <clears throat> there was a lot of quotes from, from different workers in there about how much they enjoyed him, like working with him or just how they respected him. Because again, he was someone who, I, I mean, you build up a reputation and he bought it. He had a reputation for, you know, just being a really easygoing guy, not just with his, um, his personality, like behind the scenes, like in, in, real life as a shoot he's he was just a very pleasant uh optimistic good guy to actually be around but also just as a worker he was a guy again as i mentioned before people love to work with because he was easy he didn't he didn't try to stiff you he was trying to go into business for himself he was out there to to do work um and had a good time uh it's kind of sad because he he didn't he was kind of his own worst enemy he would frequently leave territories. And, I mean, he even left the WWE, uh, back then, obviously, the WWF in the 1980s, when he could have stayed longer. And he he always left for the same thing. He did it primarily over pay. Um, and uh, there is a, there's one story that he, um, that's been told where basically, I think, he was, I think specifically he was mentioning like SummerSlam, actually the one we just reviewed where he fought uh, Undertaker at SummerSlam 92 mm-hmm. and he allegedly got what was the it was like um, 25,000 wasn't it let me see if I can actually like hold on one second I think it was something like China. Undertaker got like 100,000 he got like 25,000 or something he claimed that Undertaker was paid $500,000 for the match and that he was only paid 13,000 which is obviously a huge disparity, mm-hmm. um, and Meltzer kind of says that there that's no way that the five hundred thousand dollar figure was correct, but it doesn't matter. Like he, Kamal actually kind of believed it, and he repeatedly would have these kind of falling outs where he would basically say like, you know, what, you're not paying me the same as other people, you're not paying me what I'm worth, and he would leave, and that kind of worked against him. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, throughout his career. Um, he did mention, uh, and this is kind of something I think you you had wanted to mention, Brad. Uh, and we've talked talked about this before. For a guy who had a reputation for perhaps not being uh, culturally sensitive or even uh, liking uh, people of color, but he Kamala did say that Bill Watts was the guy who actually gave him like good pushes and actually was the most fair in terms of how he was paid, how he was treated. Yeah, which I was is really something. To a shoot about that, and he's like, he's like, he's the best promoter I ever worked for because he paid, you know, he paid me, he treated me well. Like I heard the stories, but that wasn't my experience with him. Bill Watts is weird because it's it's right. It's like, well, there's stories. Like he didn't, he doesn't like black people, but it's like, yeah, but he, Bill Watts, maybe he's just he's just you know he was that much of like a businessman, but I mean he he did pay the the least african americans who work for him he paid them fairly well he he made 
he junkyard dog was like a star. He, he paid pushed them, well. them regularly. Well, he, 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 he pushed Ernie Ladd. Like, he was on no. I mean, like he um he made Ernie Ladd the booker, and you did yeah. not do that at the time. Like like he's a weird guy because like I think he probably is racist, but like if you look at how he booked and ran his business, he was almost like progressive for his time because like. Like, if you look at WCW throughout their history, like, part of their problem is they never embraced their their black um, fandom. Like, mm-hmm. but, like, he, he was one of the only promoters, even still to this day, I would say, that, like, embraced his his fans and, like, catered to to them. And it's just, it's hard he's to the one that He's the one that had Ron Simmons beat Vader for the title. Yeah, that's right. Actually, you're right. That's a great point because that was during the very brief Bill Watts era in early uh, '90s WCW. It was uh, I'd heard um, a shoot interview with Watts, which was really fascinating. I, I should. It's been a while. I should listen to it again, try and ferret stuff out. But his point was, he said, "You look at you know you look at athletics in this country," and his words are black athletes are always at the top. And if you look at wrestling, you would go, why are they not here? It doesn't make any sense. You always have, you know, you you always have uh, black members of your roster or competitors or something like that. They, they're, there's always some of them excelling somewhere. He said, so of course I push them because it makes sense to, and it, it was so interesting to me that his whole his whole point was he didn't have anything. He wasn't talking a, th- a, a word about his personal beliefs. He was like, you look around and it, it, it's 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 believable and people buy into it and you make money off of it. Of course, we're going to do that. Um, and and like like you said, you know, Ernie Ladd and Dog and Simmons and everybody. Well, I think I think when other people like especially when other wrestlers like deride him for like trying to recreate the junkyard dog, but he was he was working in like Louisiana and Mississippi and he had a large black fan base, like of course he's gonna try and push like black athletes to the top because he's trying to cater to his audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean you want the people that come to the shows to keep coming, right? Well, and so and, let's and, give them what they want. And another Vince. thing, and another thing that I think is interesting about him is like when his houses were going down in like '83, and he brought like the Memphis guys over. Mm-hmm. Like he actually listened to what they were saying about his shows and like changed what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Like which. Which, you know, looking at wrestling history, like, that's... A lot of guys couldn't do that. Couldn't or wouldn't? Both. I mean, look at the WWE now, or look at how the Austin thing happened. Like, they had the Attitude Era because Vince changed. And now he won't. So they're they're just slowly dying. They have an NXT that's kind of, like, struggling right now because they won't change. Well, I mean, one of the biggest, biggest stories and most engaging manias in recent memory came from pushback against what was going on with Daniel Bryan, right? 
is is Brian was so popular that it was like they they kind of got boxed into a corner. So you know, for God's sakes, mix it up. Let's let's. Uh, who was I? I was listening last night. It was um, before bed. I was listening to uh, Sean Waltman interview, and that was his statement direct because um, Sean Oliver was asking him about the uh, the diesel diesel push in the Rumble, and he said, you know. Was this basically his test run to see if it would work? He said, yeah, and people are out there cheering him even though he's a heel. He said, so so what do you think? He goes, well, you you got to give the fans what they want because they're the ones paying for everything. And he said, and Vince doesn't like to do that. He likes to tell people what they want, and that, that's going to piss them off. And, and I'm just like – Sean, you you need a job somewhere that people will listen to you. Remember his reaction to Hell in the Cell last year, <laughs> and how I know he, he was. I know he had a reaction, but I off the top of my head, I can't remember what it was. Oh, he's like, no, like what? What the fuck are they doing? Uh, now I want to go find it, but yeah, John Waltman needs a job where people listen to him because the guy the guy understands the business very very well. Yeah, and so I was listening to the Kamala shoot, and he said like when he was working Junkyard Dog, he was making thirty five hundred dollars a week, and he pretty much bought a house off of that. That run. Wow. Pretty much said like he pretty much says like he still tells people that like Bill Watts and Junkyard Dog bought him that house. Ain't bragging if it's true. Oh, there was something wow. Jim Cornette talked about. What Junkyard Dog was made like made for like a New Orleans show one week, and it was like I think he made like twelve thousand dollars in a week in like nineteen eighty one money. Wow. Like I think I I did the math, and he made like forty thousand dollars for a week of of work. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. If you did, if I mean, right now in 2020, assuming people could run shows again, like if you're running, if, if things were normal, like running Mania Weekend, if some of these like indie guys did like 12,000 probably for the weekend, like they'd do, they'd be doing pretty well for themselves. Yeah. And in fact, yeah. if you're, but I mean, to even get close to that or or above it, you have to be like one of these more like upper tier guys, who and that and that's what probably doing like 10 spots. Over the course of the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, like that. There is a kind of a, a broader introspective of his career, which some stuff I had I knew about, some stuff I did not. Um, and the last part of his life, which is actually was quite sad. Um, he was someone who had diabetes. Um, yeah, I guess it was it was. It was bad enough that this is something that was kind of interesting that I did not know about, but it was bad enough that back in like 92, even as far back as that, he was kind of counseled that he should start dialysis. Um, but he held off on it for like another 20 years. Wow. Before wow, he, things. Uh, he made it almost 30 years after they told him he needed dialysis. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't think it, it, I mean, they suggested it, but it was, I don't think it was like, you have to do this, but it was something that it was strongly suggested. Uh, 
and things got worse. So this is, I will kind of, I'll take you like into my re- like the reality, my real world. Like my mom passed away four years ago, mm-hmm. and it was basically essentially from complications of diabetes. She had diabetes for decades, and it really is a very just insidious disease. Yeah, because it effectively rots you from the inside, and it does that because it it completely destroys your circulatory system, mm-hmm. and that's why that's why people, especially diabetics, wind up getting uh, like sores on their feet. Uh, the feet obviously are the furthest from the heart, so if you're going to have if you have circulatory issues, which a lot of diabetics begin to, uh, if you're going to have issues with infections, uh, things like that, it starts kind of more down towards your feet. And that's something that actually did happen to Kamal. He, he eventually, he lost toes on a foot and then eventually he lost one leg and then the other leg because circulatory system just went shot. It was a mess. And another component of diabetes is what's called diabetic nephrology, mm-hmm. which is basically what happens is the kidneys start getting affected. And that happened to my mom as well. She had like really bad kidney issues in the last year of her life she actually did have to go on dialysis and dialysis can extend your life but it is a very lowered um quality of life yeah. because it's pretty much you, tied to a machine like once you start dialysis you have to ta- you have to have dialysis three times a week yeah pretty much for the rest of your life um most people who do start dialysis, if they're at that level, and it, it, there's not a situation where the individual is is young enough that uh, like a kidney transplant would potentially be a consideration, then you don't it extend it can extend your life, but not it's not like you're going to be like 10, 20 years. You're you're yeah. gonna it's yeah you're limited, and it's it actually does take a toll. I know my mom went on the the treatments it did help her but it was also like she would go and she'd have the dialysis and it would just wear her out um yeah i used to um have a job where i part of the job was transporting people uh to and from dialysis treatments yeah and they it was it was rough because they would when they'd go to the treatments they would for lack of a better term um they would have swelled from all the fluid and then afterwards they would be absolutely freezing because of all the fluid that's been removed out and everything. And so I, I can't imagine how tough that roller coaster would be just up, down, up, down all the time. It's what it's what that's what finally got me to lose weight. Like, like actually lose weight is I got diagnosed with diabetes and I was fortunate enough that <clears throat> that dropping weight made like just made it go away but i mean that scared the shit out of me enough to actually take the steps to lose weight and i lost like a hundred pounds i mean i'm kind of the same way i don't i'm not at risk per i'm not at risk in the sense that my diet and weight are big considerations uh i'm at risk in the sense that there's obviously there's like a genetic component that i potentially get it but i that's part of the reason why I, I work out consistently. I overall watch what I eat um, because both I, – I don't want to have like the same health issues like my parents did. They both had 
uh, cardiovascular disease. Uh, my mom obviously had diabetes. Like, I don't want to go down that road. I, I want to live a very long and healthy life. Yeah. It, diabetes, it is, well, it is a very like awful disease. It is a disease that if you do catch it early, which it sounds like like with you, it was caught early. If you if you manage your diet and just healthy living, you can pretty much stop it from progressing I know too Drew far. Carey, I know Drew Carey. Actually, Drew Carey's the reason I decided I could maybe come back is he mm-hmm. he lost like when he lost all that weight he says he doesn't need like medication or anymore it just went away so mm-hmm. that's why i altered things is because i realized well like yeah yeah if you're like a type 2 diabetic you might have to take medication in terms of like pills but uh, type 1 is the one where you're insulin like yeah. resistant you, you actually need to actually take you're shots but type 2 you can um it, it's usually just treated with medication however if you Again, if you catch it early, you have a very like healthy lifestyle. You stay active uh, in some fashion, even like moderate exercise. I mean, if you just even if you like walk on the treadmill, that could be enough. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's a lot of cases where you don't even have to be on meds. You can you can have a, a diet controlled essentially. Yeah, for, for, but see, like for me, I mm-hmm. um I lost a hundred pounds. No, I lost 110 pounds. So wow, that's that a lot. Back, that put me back down, but I was <laughs> pre-diabetic within the first 15 pounds. I went from being diabetic to pre-diabetic in 15 pounds. Like, so if you, if you just get diagnosed, get on a diet, like cut the carbs down because carbs are like the worst thing you can do to yourself as a diabetic. Um, yeah. um, look at what that, look at like, look at what a good diet is. What I did is I went very protein and meat heavy and just cut carbs out almost entirely. Um, and, um, I bet you if you can drop 20 or 30 pounds, you'll see your blood – you'll see your um, – your wow, A1C is what they care about now, which is like the last mm-hmm. three months of your blood sugar is what they care about. Like if you get a 6.6, you're diabetic. I bet you – I bet you if you lose 30 pounds, you'll see your A1C drop considerably because that's what happened for me. I mean I know I was fortunate that I – that I um, – that I, I cheated fate there a bit. But I think a lot of people, if they could drop some of that weight, they'd see their their symptoms alleviate a lot. Yeah, I've had, I've shared also, you know, with my uh, I, I have a thyroid issue, um, so I actually had my doctor check for uh, pre diabetic stuff because my weight's just absolutely a nightmare to try and control. So I've been fortunate so far, but uh, it's always sitting in the back of my mind. There was also, um, I can't remember where I saw it. I wish I had written it down now. But there was a there was a documentary uh, that, that was talking about Mala, and it was his last match before he had to have something amputated. He was being managed by Paul Bear. And, you know, and they were old friends. The, and, you know, they were talking about that. And it, for, they were they were excited to work together again, but they were just, they were both kind of sad that that was going to be you know, the last hurrah on it. You know what? Actually, um, it affected me a lot, actually, as a human being. And it's not like I met him or anything, but, like, Patrice and Neil dying at, like, 42, like, really, like, that was, like, the first real kick in the nuts I had that, wow, like, I really need to start taking better care of myself. That's still a hard one. I still listen to a Patrice bit 
every now and again. Uh, and he was just a, he was so brilliant. He was, but and, that's that that was that was my first like shock of. It took me a couple more years to really do it, but that's where I said to myself, "Wow, I need to take better care of myself." Well, it but, got heavy on this episode yeah, real quick, didn't it? <laughs> that's kind of, but see, like, like I mean, we're we're all like coming in on forty, and I think I think a lot of people have that wake up call at some point in their thirties of wow, like I'm getting into the middle part of my life, like I really need to do better with my health. Well, I, yeah, I'm in this weird place where I I worked I worked really hard. Um, in in my in my twenties and in in my early thirties too at at doing that because you know I'm out there and I was either real big in martial arts or I was big in wrestling and that sort of stuff and I worked really hard at it and the injuries I've had stack up means all the stuff that I used to enjoy for working out I can't do anymore I, it's hard for me to work a heavy bag anymore because I will throw my shoulder back out of socket and I've I've just been you know struggling with trying to 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 figure out because if you hate doing something you won't keep doing it um so i've been struggling with finding the new thing that i won't hate doing yeah that's when so when i lost weight i knew i had to do it with food and calorie counting because i can exercise but i'm not going to keep it up forever um but you can kind of watch your food every day so um yeah it's just it's tough man it's tough. Yeah. So, all right. Well, have we got anything, any parting words about Kamala we'd like to say? Yeah, I just want to say, like, he he was, I had a lot of fun watching his stuff. Like, he really, um, he really seemed to love his, love his character and, like, just, you know, going out there and doing stuff. But I think, I don't know if Meltzer touched on that, but I guess, like, I guess, like, wrestling was kind of a godsend to him because, like, he was working, like, shitty, like, trucking jobs and stuff before he mm. landed in wrestling. So I think, um, I think while he would tell you the money sucked, I think he was always grateful that he got to do something, like, fun with his, yeah, his life. It kind of made me have, uh, watching these matches and reading the obituary, it kind of made me have a, a deeper appreciation of Kamala because I mean by the time I started getting into wrestling he was it was already like well past his prime and I didn't have access to the 1980s stuff when he was presented more seriously so it was kind of fascinating to see do like a deeper dive in his career and and it did make me like have an appreciation of him because growing up he was always kind of like it was was like the comedy gimmick essentially Mm -hmm. yeah See, for a long time before before I actually started digging into other stuff, I was just of the I was I was like you, Matt. I thought it, I thought it was just this tone deaf comedy gimmick that Vince came up with at some point that was on his show for a while, and then once the guy was off his TV, I didn't know where he went. Um, and that was many years ago. But then you know you start digging, you find oh no, he did this for a while, and especially appreciating how good he was at doing more by doing less. Like I, I appreciate that more and more. Um, he wrestled like his character, which is a complaint I have about a lot of guys that don't do that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, I, I might've been guilty of that once, but, uh, that was something that I always tried to be aware of myself. All right. Well, um, Hey, everybody out there, we want to thank you for, for joining us for our Kamala, uh, you know, retrospective look back in honor of, uh, however you want to put it. Um, we would love to hear from you on our social media. You know, was are there Kamala memories that you have that we haven't touched on or anything like that? Um, so please hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. And this is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth, and we will see you next time.